the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Please be seated. On September 3rd, 1943, Italy um, signed armistice with the Allies. Nazi Germany moved into much of the territory that fascist Italy had held, including Greece. They moved down into the Peloponnese Peninsula and took a uh, small island off of that peninsula, the Lonicus. And on that island, a German Nazi commandant went to the mayor and said, give me a list of all the Jews on the island. The mayor was able to make that list. He wrote down all the names and he took them to his bishop, Demetrius. Mayor and bishop both knew right from wrong. I think the Nazis knew right from wrong. They chose to do evil. Just like Adam and Eve knew right from wrong. Just like Cain knew that it was wrong to kill Abel. When Moses came down from Sinai, or as Horeb as it's called in the reading today, the people of Israel didn't say, oh, murder, that's a bad thing. Stealing, we're not supposed to do that. They knew it. They were made in the image of God. They knew right from wrong. The problem they were having is the problem that we're having, doing it. And this is what Moses is talking to the nation of Israel about. He's talking about this plan, this process that the Lord has to address that very problem. How it is to get the people to follow the law. Moses is speaking to the people on the edge of the River Jordan. They've assembled there in the wilderness, about to cross over into the promised land. He gives them the law a second time. This is called the Deutero, or the Deuteronomy, as we call the book. And so he's summarizing for them everything that's happened. And the Lord tells the people through the prophet Moses, I'm not done here. I'm going to further tell you and help you to follow my commandments by sending you a prophet unlike any that you have seen before. One who will, as he says, um, someone who will listen and who will have my words in his mouth. In Deuteronomy 18, he says, he shall speak to them all that I command. And he will make his word the law. That is those who do not follow it, the Lord says, of him I will require it. And this is fulfilled in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Jesus is the promised prophet who speaks all the words of the Father. This is what Jesus says about himself. He says, I do not speak any word that the Father does not give me. Every word that I have spoken is the word of the Father. He perfectly fulfills that. And everything that he says will come to pass comes to pass. He foretells the destruction of Jerusalem. He foretells his own death. He foretells his own burial. He foretells his own rising from the dead. Everything that Jesus says will happen, does happen. He promises the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit comes. He promises to come again, and this too will be fulfilled in his time. And so Jesus is fulfilling all the things that the Father has promised to help us to restore us to be the people 
that he has called us to be. And just knowing the difference doesn't mean a thing. Knowing right from wrong doesn't make a difference. I give you the demon. Jesus speaks to a demon who is in the synagogue in the region of Galilee. The demon proclaims Jesus for who he is. He says, have you come to destroy us? I know who you are. He knows who Jesus is. This is a question that we like to ask people all the time. Do you know Jesus? Do you know who he is? The demon is able to say, yes, I do. This knowledge doesn't do anything for him. Just like knowledge for us doesn't always do things for us. Often when we know something, we think that we're better than other people because we've got certain knowledge or certain expertise. We think it makes us better. We like to compare our knowledge to the knowledge of other people and to show their ignorance, to make ourselves feel better than others. And often when we talk about belief, we talk about it in a way where it is this kind of simple knowledge. When we talk about belief or when Jesus says, believe in me, he's not talking about the kind of knowledge that this demon has. The demon even obeys him, but he obeys him because Christ forces him to, because Christ has the power to make him obey. Our obedience, the obedience that the Lord desires from us, is a response to that knowledge where we hunger and we thirst to do the things of God, where we desire to participate with him, when we want to obey, when we have what we call faith, that is a loyal obedience. It's a desire to do the things of God, to be faithful to him, to stand by him, to be with him, to be with him in all that he does and says. This is the kind of faithfulness that the Lord is calling us into. It's not just about head knowledge. It's about hearts that are broken and that are hungering and thirsting for the things of God. St. Paul shows us very clearly the danger that we can get into by thinking that our knowledge is just enough. And he uses this example of food sacrifice to idols, which can be a difficult example for us in this day because for us, uh, meat that perhaps is not sacrificed to idols is available to us fresh in the grocery store all the time. And we start to think that people have always lived this way, right? This is a very recent thing, the idea of being able to get fresh meat whenever you want it. Before 100 years ago, really, people did not get fresh meat whenever they wanted it. Right? People got fresh meat when it was brought in from pasture, and that only happened, depending on the animal, perhaps once a year. So there would only be a short amount of time when fresh meat would come in. And especially in the ancient world, any time that fresh meat was brought into the marketplace and brought into the city, it would be butchered by the butchers at the local um, idol uh, temple. They would bring all of the cows or all the sheep or all the pigs, whatever they were sacrificing, and they would bring them into a temple and the, the priest of that temple would offer these animals the sacrifice and the butchers at the, at, the, at the temples would sacrifice and prepare that meat. So it was almost impossible to get meat in the ancient world that hadn't been sacrificed to animals. And the people would feast for days and for weeks upon that fresh meat. It was kind of like a tailgate party that lasted for days and weeks, right? And you can see the flowing of wine and the sacrificing of animals and the barbecue that was going on. You can see the party that this would be and you can see the enthusiasm that people would have for it and you can see the desire that they would get as it was incorporated into worship. And it was part of a worship that, that made them into a, a, a family. A city became a family because they ate together, right? Because they just worshiped together. They'd worship this ancient pagan deity, right? 
And so you can see how this becomes a, an expression of their, of their understanding of themselves as the city, their understanding of themselves as a people group, their understanding of themselves as participants in, in, um, in a community. And so when they ate and when they drank and when they worshiped, they were expressing so many things. And for somebody to leave that, to walk away from that idol worship and to walk away from that kind of, of worship of the idols and that party and that sacrifice was a very, very difficult thing to do. And you can see how the people that left it, their consciences, as St. Paul would say, would be kind of weak because they would be in the back of their minds, you can see, thinking, is this real? Is this idol real? I think I know who Jesus is. I think I understand that God the Father is one God. But boy, that was a great time that I had in celebrating to these idols. And, and their conscience would be weak in that. And they would be thinking, maybe there was something real there. Gee, I saw some miracles. Gee, I saw some, some fantastic things happen at these pagan temples. And then for these people that left that pagan worship, that left that idolatry and that, that, that celebration, the debauchery that took place in those pagan temples, and then move into the Christian church, they accept Christ as their Lord and Savior, they're baptized, and they begin to worship. For them then to go to the marketplace at the next year when the animals would come in for sacrifice and then see a Christian eating some of that meat, you could see how they would be scandalized by that and say, wait a minute, what's going on? How could they eat this meat? And for the Christian just to say, oh, you don't understand, those idols aren't real, there's only one true God, let me explain it to you. You can see how that wouldn't be enough, would it? It wouldn't quite be enough. And those Christians in those communities that were saying, oh, you don't have the proper knowledge that I have, are not having the love and the compassion for those people who have just left that life of idolatry and are moving into a life of grace. This is what we're called to have. We are called to have a love and a consideration and a compassion for those who are going to be coming through our doors, whether they're men, women, or children of any age, to have compassion on them and to see what do I need to do to show the love of God. And just explaining is not love. It's not compassion. It's modeling the life of love. So the mayor, Carrere, sits down with his bishop, and the bishop looks at the list of Jews on the island, and the bishop says, burn it. So the mayor burns the list. And he says, give me another piece of paper. And he takes the piece of paper and he writes a name. And he goes to the German commandant and he gives him the name. There was one name on the piece of paper. It was the bishops. He wrote his own name. He said, if you're gonna kill anybody, kill me. That's the Christian life. That is love. That is love in knowledge through the power of the Holy Spirit. And we cannot do it from our own strength. But that is what we are here learning how to do. That is what we are about. That's what the Good Shepherd School is about. That's what our worship is about. 
That's what our fellowship is about. That's what our relationships are about. It's about us being able to have the love and the courage when the time comes, because it will come, to write down one name on that piece of paper. It turned out that on that little island there were thousands of Jews hiding in the mountains. Thousands. And they survived the war because of the courage of two men. May thousands survive because of our courage and our witness of love. Amen.